glad I didn't do anything crazy like wear a pirate's patch over my eye or anything with the district superintendents getting here. So we are glad to, glad to have them. And make sure you go up and tell them how much you love Andy and how much you're glad that Andy was still here. Um, we are going back to 1 Samuel 17 today. The whole month of September we've been looking at how Goliath must fall, how the giants in our lives that keep us from living that full life that God has for us must fall. We've looked at, at rejection, we've looked at fear, we've looked at anger, we've looked at comfort. Today we're looking at a big giant, the giant of addiction. First uh, Samuel 17 verses 38 through 50, if you want to follow along there. Uh, there's a, an outline, by the way, in the newsletter that you were given in just a little bit as we, as we go along. If you want to do the fill-in, then that's there for you. If you miss one, there's a box in the newsletter that gives you the answers to the fill-ins. Um, verse 38, Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor. And he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I'm not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag in his pouch. His sling was in his hand. He drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is not is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, striking down the Philistine and killing him. There was no sword in David's hand. May God bless the reading of his word this morning, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let me tell you a little story about how a little pinch from a little round can became a giant in my life, an addiction that had its claws in me for about 20 years. Uh, well, to tell you that, I need to tell you about when I started college. I started college in the late 70s, and at that time, you might remember um, that it was very popular for people to use smoking tobacco, Skull and Copenhagen and that kind of thing. And I mean, Urban Cowboy was on, John Travolta was doing it, they were advertising it on TV, 
uh, you know, the Eagles were singing about it, just a penis between your cheek and God. Do you all remember that stuff? Uh, well, that was, that was the culture. I started to college, and I wanted to find a group of people to run with and a group of buddies. And, and what, I, what I found was uh, I found that at the Baptist Student Union, the BSU or the zoo as we called it then. And you say, well, you know, you're, you're Methodist, you're not Baptist. Why didn't you go to the Wesley Foundation? Well, that's a good question. Well, where I was going to school at the Wesley Foundation, there was only a handful of hippies that hung out there, and I did not fit in with them at all. So I went to the BSU. And I'll have to say I did find a group of good friends that I'm friends with to this day. And some of my greatest memories uh, I are from the BSU and, and running around the crazy things that we did together, the games that we played, uh, all of the great fun that we had. But let me tell you what else I found. The guys that I ran around with, um, they all dipped skull. And this was a time when it was almost like a badge of honor to have a pen in your back pocket that wore a circle in, in, the, in the back pocket of your blue jeans. And so one day I was, was hanging out with one of my friends, and he reached in his back pocket and handed me his can of skull, and he said, here you go. And so I took some of that stuff and I, I put it in my mouth and I got sick as a dog. I mean, that should have told me something, but it didn't because my desire to fit in outweighed my common sense. And so I kept doing it and pretty soon I was as hooked as I could be. I was as addicted as anybody could be, but the Skull Brothers, that's what we call ourselves. So um, fast forward a little bit, and one weekend we're at a church camp, and we're standing, it's the last night of the church camp, and we're all standing around the bonfire outside, and, uh, the, and the preacher is talking about some, some reference in the Old Testament, don't remember exactly where, about how about how you need to drive the Canaanites out of the land and all of this kind of stuff. And he related it to his own addictions. He said that, uh, that he was addicted to chewing tobacco and that God had convicted him over that and, and that he had given that addiction to God and broke that habit. And the whole time he was saying this, me and the Skull Brothers were, were over here on one side and we were elbowing each other like this. You know, we had our cans in our back pocket even while he was talking. And that night I laid on that bunk bed and tossed and turned and tossed and turned and couldn't sleep, not just because you can't sleep on those things. I mean, you just can't. But I tossed and turned because God was working in my heart. And so the next day I went back to class, and I was sitting through class. I was kind of dazed and couldn't really concentrate, couldn't really think, because God was working in my heart. Hey, this is, this is a habit you really need to break, man. So I went home that afternoon, and I was determined in my heart that I was going to kick this habit. And, and so I went outside in the yard, and I had my can of skull with me. And, and I looked at that can of skull, and I talked to the can of skull. My neighbor must have thought I was crazy. And I said something to it like, you're not the boss of me. And I took it, and I threw it across the road into the weeds uh, that were across the road and stomped into the house done for that so the next morning as I'm across the road kicking through the weeds trying to find the trying to find the, the can which which I did and 
rub the dew off of it, you know, and put a pencil between my cheek and gum, and I looked at that can and I spoke to it again, and this time I said, so I guess you are the boss of me. Hello, Goliath. My name's Sam. So the children of Israel on the side of the mountain, all in their battle gear and ready to go to battle, and for 40 days and for 40 nights, they're held captive, held captive by a loudmouthed giant named Goliath. 40 days and 40 nights, my Goliath held me captive for 20 years. 20 years. So fast forward 20 years. The year is 1999. Uh, Tammy and I have been married a little over five years. We've got a sweet little bouncing baby girl named Emerald Kate. We're so happy and so proud to be parents for the first time. Just life couldn't be better. And then I go to the dentist. And this really sweet uh, dental hygienist, after she takes care of my teeth, she says, she sits me up in the chair and she says to me, Mr. Hayes, you've got some precancerous places down in, on your gums. And your gums have really receded quite a bit. And you really, really need to consider giving up smokeless tobacco. This is pretty serious. And so all the way home as I was driving home, I was talking to God, just talking to God out loud, just like I'm talking to you right now. And I said something like, God, I really want to live to see my baby girl grow up. You got to help me. You got to help me see her. And I want you to know God answered my prayer but not the way that I wanted it to. What I wanted was for God to go zap and for me to no longer crave that stuff. That's not how it happened. God gave me strength. God was my refuge, but I had to fight. I had to fight, and it took a long time, but I stand before you today I can say that I'm glad that that yoke is not around my neck anymore. And I stand before you today and I tell you also that I'll always continue to struggle with things. Because here's the thing about me. I'm a creature of habit. I get into a routine. I get a habit of doing something and that's just the way it is. I have a feeling that I'm not the only one. Addiction's a real thing. It's a real thing. Some of them are big, some of them are small, but it's real. It's real. So your outline has a, a, a definition of addiction. That's where we start. I, I got one of a big fat Webster's Dictionary, and I looked up the word, and um, it says that an addict is one who is devoted to a habit. I would add compulsively devoted to a habit. Somebody who's devoted to a habit. An addict is one who has something in their life, big or small, that they've convinced themselves that they just can't live without. They just can't live without. Just do it without fixing. This can be good habits that we are devoted to. 
and I certainly hope that all of us are devoted to some of these good habits like uh, about praying God, talking and listening to God regularly, about worshiping regularly, studying your Bible, having your devotional time, uh, serving and giving. I hope that we all would be devoted to, to habits like uh, taking care of ourselves and, and making sure we have a Sabbath, about nurturing our relationships, our friendships, and loving our family. You see what I mean? Good habits that we get into, good habits add life to us, make our life fuller. The flip side of that is bad habits are habits that take away life, that drain life out of us. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Good habits are, are habits that add life to the full, that make our lives better, that make us into the people that Jesus had in mind for us all along. The bad habits steal, kill, and destroy. So a bad habit is something that we do and continue to do even after we know and become aware that it's hurting us. We just become enslaved to it. We just automatically do it. We don't even think about it anymore. We just do it. Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 5.1. He said, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, the context in which that letter was written is, is that Paul was writing to the church in Galatia, and the church was being told by outsiders, by Judaizers, that in order for them to be acceptable to God, that not only did they have to believe in Jesus, but they also had to follow all of the Jewish laws and customs, all 613 of the Jewish laws. And Paul told them that Christ is the fulfillment of the law. You don't have to live that way. Every day they were putting on the yoke of the law that was a heavy yoke. They couldn't bear it. And Christ said, for freedom Christ has set you free. Don't keep putting on that yoke. That image of slavery and yoke is, is a very good image of what addiction is like too. You see, our addictions are like a yoke. They're, they're heavy for us to carry and they also pull us where we don't mindfully even want to go, they just pull us along and sweep us along. But it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So let's consider, why do we keep putting on the yoke again, time after time? Why do we do it? Why are we so addicted? I have a feeling it might be because addictions are a lot of times symptoms of a deeper problem. See, they're just a symptom. The problem goes much deeper than that. Maybe some pain that we have, some, some hurt that happened to us, something that made us feel vulnerable, maybe some rejection, somebody said something to us, somebody didn't say something that they were supposed to have said, and, and we get a feeling that the real us, the genuine us, is not good enough, is not acceptable. So in response to that, we turn to something to help us cope. Instead of running to God like we ought to, we run to something else. We run to something and we use it to cope and then we cover up. We use it to cope and then we cover up. And it is as old as human history. Adam and Eve sinning in the garden, running away, 
hiding. When God comes to walk, we're caught with them in the field of Eden. Adam, Eve, where are you? We can't have God see us like this. When God was the one who already knew all about them and still loved them and the only one who could help them. The only one that could help them. Think about David on the mountainside. His brother Eliab had insulted him, had belittled him, had basically said, David, you're not enough. You're not good enough. You can't go. What do you, who do you think you are? And King Saul had said, David, look, you can't go fight Goliath. You're just a kid. He's been a warrior since his youth. And then even after David explained that he had killed a bear and a lion in the course of being a shepherd, Saul said to him, well, okay, you can go into battle, but you can't go like that. You've just got a tunic on for heaven's sake. Here, let me put this bronze helmet on you. Won't. Let me put my coat of mail on you. Won't. Now take my sword. Won't. David couldn't even walk in all of that. And David decided that he better just go as himself. Just a shepherd boy with a staff and a shepherd's bag with some stones and a slingshot. He decided he better just go as himself and trust God to take the slack up where it needed to be taken. So instead of hiding behind the ill-fitting armor, he decided to let God be his refuge. I love what he writes later on after this incident and after Saul becomes jealous of David and after Saul starts trying to kill David. He's, he writes this in Psalm 59, 16. But I will sing of your might. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning for you have been a fortress for me and a refuge in the day of my distress. So that's what David did. He ran to God. He let God be his fortress. The question is, what will you and I do? How will we handle the pain of, of rejection and the loneliness and the sadness and the hurt and the wanting to belong? The way I handled the wanting to belong in the late 70s and for a long time was I ran to an addiction because I wanted to belong. So will we let our addictions, our, our, our habit of, of coping and covering up and coping and covering up, will we continue to do that? Will we put on that false armor and when somebody says, hey, you know, what's wrong? What's going on with you? And we say, nothing, I'm good, I'm good. It's all cool. Or will we be vulnerable enough to come to God just as we are and to open up to at least one other person about what's going on in our life. So who is this for? Who, who's addicted anyway? I want to paint a couple of pictures for you of who's addicted. It's the man who works 70 or 80 hours a week and then takes work with him home on the weekend and doesn't know how to let go and doesn't know how to take a day off. Oh, the people around him applaud him. They think he's a hard worker. He's a good provider. He's a successful person, but we know the truth. We know he's an addict who can't let go. So who is addicted? It's the woman who maybe after surgery got 
handed a bottle of painkillers and pretty soon she found herself addicted to opioids and now the thing is no matter how many she takes she can't address the real pain which is deep inside of her all she can take is the shame and she's stressed out she's stressed out so much because she's keeping mommy's little secret and she doesn't know what to do it's the teenager who has their phone as a permanent attachment to their hand and who panics if they can't look at their phone every five seconds to see who's sending them a message. It's the man who has three martinis at lunch and then after he gets through in the afternoon, he goes by the bar to just try to wash away the pain and the disappointment of the day. He might tell you that he's just trying to take the edge off, but we know the truth. His life is draining away and he doesn't know what to do. So who is addicted? It's the woman who is so unhappy and so lonely that she feels better if she could just go shopping and spend some money that she really shouldn't be spending, that she really doesn't have. But somehow it makes her feel better for a little while. And she even jokes with her friends. She calls it retail therapy. But the truth is, it's a compulsive. Who's an addict? It's a man who's bored and who's lonely and who turns to internet pornography just on a whim, just that one time, and then another time, and now he's hooked. And now he's so ashamed of himself, he's too embarrassed to tell anybody about it. He doesn't know how to quit. It's the teenage boy who spends all of his time playing video games down in the basement. He hasn't breathed fresh air in a really long time. It's the lonely old lady who is at her house and who has her house stuffed floor to ceiling with all of the things that she bought from Home Shopping Network. Oh, y'all know her. Uh, <laughs> it's the young man who has to have constant, stim constant stimulation because he doesn't know how to unplug. It's the woman it's the young woman who is addicted to approval of others to the point that she checks her Instagram every five minutes to see how many people like that picture of herself that she just posted. Basically, it's you and it's me and it's our neighbors. It's everyone. So that would be really bad news, right? If there weren't some good news to follow and there is some good news, the giant does come down so how do we do that? How does this giant come down? The short answer is we follow the steps. We work the steps. We work the steps. I've, I've put some three, I put three simple steps, but I don't want you to think just because I put three simple steps that this is a simple process. It's not. Hear me as I say that. We're all works in process. God is always working on us. And once, you know, once we get one giant, another giant pops up. So I want you to hear this. But I also want you to know that there is freedom if you work the steps. Step number one is we get real. We have to acknowledge that there's a big old giant of addiction that's standing in our way and we have to quit covering it up. Be real to God and be real to at least one other person. Be vulnerable enough to admit that you don't have it all together. 
and Celebrate Recovery, which is a Christian 12-step program that I have had in other churches, and I really believe in this program. Uh, the first step in Celebrate Recovery is worded like this. We admit that we are powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors and that our lives have become unmanageable. Unmanageable. Being vulnerable enough to say, I can't. Those words don't taste very good in our mouths in this society to say I can't, especially for us guys. You know, we've had somebody along the way, a coach or somebody said, don't ever say you can't. But I'm going to tell you what, when it comes to addiction sometimes in your life, the best thing you could say is I can't. I can't. Because it's only after that first step that you can take the second step. And that is to get help. The second step is to trust God enough to say, but God can. I can't, but God can. Now, I say that's hard to say. So because it's hard to say, I want you to practice it with me today, all right? This will be a call and response. I'm going to say, I can't, and I'm going to point to you and let you say, I can't. Then I'm going to say, but God can, and I'm going to let you say, but God can, all right? I can't, but God can. See, you get great out of that. That's step one, and that's step two. Celebrate Recovery step two says, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore our sanity. Say, so what does sanity have to do with it? It has everything to do with it. Because you see, once we become addicted to something, we do it without thinking. And once we find out that it's hurting us and that God doesn't want to do this, and we keep on doing it, that's pretty much the definition of insanity. Once we let something pull us along and take control of our lives instead of running to God. See, this is what David did when he ran into that valley. No armor on, just his slingshot and just his staff. Not hiding behind the false armor of Saul, but just vulnerable. Knowing that in himself he couldn't do it, but knowing that God could, trusting that the same God that had helped him when he fought a bear and when he fought a lion was going to help him when he fought Goliath. He ran into battle and he said, this very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. So we run to God as our refuge with God's help. With God's help. And with the help of the people that God puts around us. You see, we are never meant to walk through this life and to deal with life's troubles alone. We're not meant to do it alone. So whatever your struggle is, I highly recommend step one, which is to say, God, I need help. I'm, I'm just getting real before you, God. I, I, this is a problem. And then ask for help. And then tell at least one other person about it. Get an accountability group. Get a... Uh, get a partner to walk with you through this. Get into a program like Celebrate Recovery where you can get through this. It can work. I know it can. I've seen it work. I've, I've experienced how it works. And then the third step is 
is this, is get, get new habits. Because I was thinking about, you know, the key to overcoming this stuff is this third step is so important because, you know, we, we get real, we admit our giants and we get help by running to God and by partnering up with people that can walk beside us. So let's say that all of that takes place and all of it goes really well and that addiction that has been holding us just gets swept out the door. I was thinking about that image of, of being swept out the door and I was thinking of the parable that Jesus taught in Matthew 12. He talked about how an, an unclean spirit had gone out of a person and how it had wandered around through a desert place looking for a resting place and finding none, it returned back to the house where it had left. And when it found the house empty and swept clean and put in order, it brought seven other unclean spirits more evil than itself back into the house. And I think this is where we fail. This is where we falter sometimes. This is where we relapse that we allow God to sweep this out of our lives, these old habits, but we don't replace them with new and good habits. And, and if a bad habit was what we had turned to when we were dealing with, with boredom or loneliness or whatever, and we never replaced that with a good and healthy and constructive something, then what we've done is we've swept the house clean and we've just left it there. And we've made ourselves right just to fall back into our old habits of living. Giants are meant to come down. And the revolution in the story of David and Goliath is that we're not David in the story. That Jesus is the David in the story. Jesus is our champion. Jesus is the one who at the cross defeated Goliath. And he doesn't want us living, cowering down, hiding in the tent, defeated, afraid. He wants us to be abundant and fruitful and to live lives that bring glory to him. So for freedom's sake and for the sake of God's glory, Goliath must thankful that the plan that you have for us includes a plan for our freedom, a plan for our deliverance from these giants, these ugly giants that sometimes hold us captive, that stand in our way of your best for us. And God, whatever that giant is, maybe, maybe it's an addiction that we're battling right now. You've already won the victory. Help us just to step into it today. Help us to be vulnerable enough to say, I can't, and to be trusting enough to say, but you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Number 421, which is kind of an 